Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. And today I have a very patient guest who we've been trying to connect for like four months. So I'm very excited to have her here, Dr. Annie White. Welcome to 321. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Worth the wait. Uh, thank you. I was feeling the same way. Um, you are going to, you have a, a new book coming out and your topic is one that I think every single person that listens to this show or any show needs information on. So why don't you start by telling us a little about maybe who you are, um, you know, what, what kind of doctor are you and uh, a little about the book to get us started. Sure. Like, I have a doctorate in acupuncture and oriental medicine. So I practice Eastern medicine and I wrote a book about the root cause of stress because what Eastern medicine does that's different than Western medicine is that we look for the root cause instead of looking at symptoms. And I think that's one of the epidemic failures in treating stress and anxiety today is that people are chasing and trying to fix those symptoms when they true answer is in the root cause, which is in the brain. So as I was working with patients over the years, I mean, how many people A, have stress and anxiety and B, it's always affecting their health. So I knew if, if I didn't figure this out, the stress and anxiety piece, I could never help them be happier, truly happier, healthy. So I did a deep dive into neuroscience um, which is all the science of the brain to try and figure out why we get so stressed so I could work backward and then fix it. Oh, I love that. That's a great approach. So what did you discover on this journey? It was pretty cool. I mean, it was a, over a decade of research and it wasn't like I quit my job or anything and just did this full time. Um, but what I was looking for were tools for my patients because I knew that the stuff for stress out there wasn't working, i.e., oh, you need to get better sleep. You need to eat better. You need to exercise. Can I tell you those are all symptoms of high stress and anxiety? You can't sleep. You can't eat healthy stuff. You don't want to exercise. You don't necessarily even want to go out and see people. So people will be coming into my office in this popular stress advice and just be feeling like failures because they couldn't do it. Of course they couldn't do it. I mean, stress was causing it. Now, is that bad advice for health in general? No, it's good advice for health in general, but it's bad advice for stress and anxiety. So I did a deep dive into neuroplasticity, which states every thought, action, and emotion wires or strengthens the corresponding pathways in your brain. So if you are having stressful thought upon negative thought upon stressful thought upon negative thought, and I'll talk about why stress and negativity are intertwined in a second, you are building those stressed and negative parts of your brain with every single thought you think. So that over a period of time, the brain likes the path of least resistance. So you have stress and negative pathways. They're called neural pathways. They're brain pathways. And they're actually circuits, but we don't actually we don't have to get that sciencey at the moment if you don't want to. But they have specific circuits in the brain that have taken over. So if a thought comes into play or even something stressful that shouldn't be all that stressful, those paths take immediately over and bam, you're down into stressville before you can say Bob's your uncle because those are dominant. I want to back up because I should have asked this first. How do you define stress? 
stress is being uncomfortable in a situation, bringing in worry and negativity and worst case scenarios into your thought process. Okay. Thank you. So when you say stress and negativity are intertwined on these pathways, the thing that jumped in my head and and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm stressed and my negativity thing is to go escape like gambling, like that's what makes it easy to relapse or to go do the activity that's not good for me, the negative activity. Is that true? It's true. And I mean that I love your observation of that because it is it is so true. I mean, the scientific studies have proven that positive and negative thought patterns have different circuits, neural circuits or pathways in the brain. So what you're saying is true. I mean, if you're in a negative spiral and stress and negativity go together, and we'll talk about that in one second, of course, you're going to choose the negative. You're going to choose the the bad habit. But what you're also doing, I hate to say this, but you're a little bit of self-medicating, aren't you? Because in that situation, you're striving to change those paths. You're striving to change that situation. And you're going to go for whatever in the past has distracted you from that, right? It takes you away, whether it's gambling, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's food. Um, A lot of people do that. Yeah, we escape. Well, gamblers, there's two types of gamblers. We either escape or we're looking for action, which is the high, right? So So it's both, isn't it? It is. But if you think about it, the escape and the high are both positive sides of the brain. So you're trying to shift the situation, right? You're trying to get out of those negative and stress pathways. You're like, let's shut those down and activate these other ones for a minute. That is a fabulous point. I love it. Okay. I'm sorry. You want to do stress and negativity? Is that what you said? Oh, sure. Okay. So did you ever see Saturday Night Live? No. Okay. (laughs) That's okay. Um, There was a character on it called Debbie Downer. And the reason that stress and negativity are hand in hand is because stress triggers us to consider worst case scenarios always because that's how we survive. Stress was made for us to survive that woolly mammoth and, you know, down the road, right? But now the woolly mammoth has become bills. It's become everything. It can become being late for something. It can become somebody giving us a wrong look, right? Mm. And so we go through those stressed worst case scenarios, which ignite because worst case scenarios are always what? They're always negative. They always ignite those negative parts of our brain so that over time, Debbie Downer was a character on Saturday Night Live and anything anyone would say, she would take to the total negative. Like, oh, Debbie, do you want to come for dinner Friday? She'd be like, I'll come, but don't serve fish because my doctor said my mercury levels are sky high. (laughs) And then there'd be this noise in the wet background go, wah, wah. So like... But people can get into those situations where their mind is so trained, so wired for stress and negativity. That's where everything goes. So will your book help people reprogram the neuropathways in that way of thinking? Because it's I, I'm probably, 
I don't know if this makes sense, but ahead in the learning curve of being mindful and being present and noticing when I'm being negative, noticing when I'm, you know, feeling good and all of that. And I still can't master it. My negativity still creeps in and shows up. And um, I, I call it like bitchy Bobby, you know, like if I'm stressed, <laughs> bitchy Bobby shows up. So I, I'm, I'm very anxious to see like what you have that I can apply that could take me to that next level. Cause it's, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, not ever. <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, I got to a place where I was even Debbie Downer and I know this stuff. So, but I wasn't using the tools at the time. So I love your question. I think it's a fabulous one. And what I did was I designed tools that I knew were scientifically proven, like techniques that were scientifically proven to wire the mind to be calm and happy. And then I combine them all into different tools that people use over a six week period. You start for three minutes twice a day, you end with eight minutes twice a day that train and build those calm and happy pathways so that when that stressful moment comes up, you have a fighting chance. Like in that moment, you don't just go to that worst case scenario. You can actually be creative. You can come up with some positive solutions. You don't necessarily think the worst. I thought I was going to cough. Um, <laughs> so one when we get asked questions in, in like therapy groups, and I am going to cough. Oh, excuse me. Um, questions come up about relapse or like last night we were talking about cravings and I've adopted this philosophy that instead of waiting for the craving to come, like live every day and prepare for the cravings before they come, right? Like so that it's not the ghost. It's sort of like build your resources before you need it. This is, is exactly that the-, the same thing. Okay. That was my question. It's a good question. I mean, you can use these tools in the moment too, but it's actually better to do what you're saying and build your resources before you need them because then your mind is balanced. Your mind is more calm, more happy. And like we said, the your thoughts like the path of least resistance. So if you build those pathways in the mind, they can become dominant instead of the stress and negative ones. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. I want, I want happy pathways. I don't want, I want calm pathways. (laughs) Well, and if you think about it, a lot of the drugs that deal with anxiety and depression, um, are, you know, they, they have neuroplastic effects in the mind and it's why they take four to six weeks to start working. All right. You just, you can probably help me with this now that you brought up drugs. Cause I don't know enough about the brain, like a science enough, but with these drugs, what are they doing to the paths? Like it, it's all different drugs and it's all different paths. And to tell you the truth, they don't completely know yet mm. because it's really hard. Yeah. Um, it depends. So it's it, this is a hard answer because there are so many drugs and so many effects in the brain that 
we would have to go drug by drug by drug by drug. And I'd say, okay, this one does, this one doesn't. Let's look at the research on this, which you can pull up pretty easily. Like if you're on an SSRI, which is a serotonin um, reuptake inhibitor, then you can look up and see, okay, so when my body stops the reuptake of serotonin and there's more serotonin in the synapses between the nerves, so for, for stimulation, right? That can stimulate calmer pathways because it's that chemical going and stimulating the calm pathway because serotonin is a calm chemical. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It, it just seems like there's so much anti-anxiety, you know, like in my head, I'm thinking of like Prozac and, you know, like all these these ones. And it, it, it's not a rabbit hole I necessarily intended on going down, but I'm guessing that the calm code and these strategies would make it where medicine isn't needed because you're teaching your body how to do the things. I can't say medicine won't be needed because I will get in great big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but what it can do is, yeah, it can really help your mind and strengthen those calm and happy pathways so that either maybe you could try to titrate off of it or not use it. Okay. But some people need medication and I would never, you know, there's no shame in that game if you really need it. Like some people have a chemical imbalance that they can't help, you know, they're born with it. Right. So, um, but yes, it can definitely help, help with that situation. Okay. So now we're going to get, I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. And and I know it's okay. It's rules. okay. Um, that's kind of, I kind of have this little philosophy about my show. It's my show and I can do and say what I want, but I forget like people in the financial industry or different industries have to be not quite so free spirited. So I apologize for that. No, it, I, it's all good. All right. Once upon a time, there was a girl, Bobby, who did not even know what the difference between Eastern and Western medicine was. Okay. Like people You're would use alone. that term and I just didn't know. Right. So luckily I get educated by a lot of smart people around me, but I think that the more I learn, the more curious I am about Western medicine, the more, um, the more I can see strategies integrating into our life. So you've studied that before. And I was just curious, you know, how did that integrate into your thinking with, with the book, with how you practice? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, the, the big differentiation between Eastern and Western medicine is that Western medicine has a certain tool. We both have certain toolboxes, but Western medicine's toolbox is drugs or surgery, basically. I mean, if you look at it and what those do is they treat the symptoms. Now, if you need a surgery, you need a surgery. If you're having a life or death situation, you need Western medicine, you know, or if you need some meds because you got, you know, pneumonia or something like this. Right. And I think Western meds on a temporary basis, that's fine. But if you're talking about using something for the rest of your life, that's not healing the root cause. That's not healing anything. In fact, that's why it causes side effects because it doesn't actually heal it and the body doesn't like that. And so then, you know, you have this cascade of other issues that pop up because the body's even more out of balance. So in Eastern medicine, it's about 
healing the root cause, looking at the symptoms as guideposts, but then healing the root cause of those symptoms so that they go away so that you don't have them anymore. And balance, I did touch on balance. Balance is, is one key aspect of that. You know, it's like dis-ease. If your body's not in ease, you have dis-ease or disease. Mm. So that's one of, one of the beliefs of Eastern medicine. And, you know, here's a, a really funny fact. The doctors in ancient China didn't get paid if their patients were sick. They only got paid when their patients were well which is that tells you so this is this is a health system it's about keeping people healthy it's not about fighting illness wow do you think well all right that was another. but that's why they both we need both of them in our world today because i can't i in an acute situation in a in an emergency situation i can't save someone's life I don't have that capacity. I can't perform surgery on you, right? Mm-hmm. I can help you heal afterward. And if you, if we get to know each other before you need that surgery, I could maybe help you avoid it in some circumstances. But they work really well together. So is stress one of those? Okay, I want to make sure I understand my question <laughs> before I say it. Yeah. You you said that there's the root and then there's symptoms. So is stress the root or the symptom? Good question. It depends. <laughs> but I will tell you one thing. It is always an exacerbator. Because huh. of the chemical cascade that happens when we're stressed out all the time. So I'm not talking about being stressed once a week or being stressed maybe even once a day if it's not for a very long time. Our bodies were built to be stressed periodically, right? They're a survival mechanism. So surviving from attacks, surviving from childbirth or, you know, famines, that sort of thing. Those are few and far between. Those aren't everyday things unless you're, you know, living in the neighborhood next to the saber-toothed tigers. But that's what that's what our that's what our stress response thinks we're doing right now. They're like, oh my God, she everyone moved to a neighborhood that is right next to the woolly mammoths and all the saber-toothed tigers. Are these people insane? Because our stress response gets ignited every single time we get stressed, right? Our brain gets stressed. And then that chemical cascade happens, but our bodies weren't built for that. It's toxic over time. So there was a follow-up question to this, trying to understand it. Where does the stress come from? Like, do we learn it by other people's example? Because, right, it doesn't sound like our physiology um, would decide you know, that your boss is a jerk. So that's stressful. Like that has to come from somewhere. Where does that come from? It's, it's all, it's learned. It is learned. It's in our mind. Yeah. It's learned from experiences. I mean, there is some stress that is not conscious. So that's why we can hop out of the way of a bus coming when we didn't even really see it, you know, or a bicycle coming at us or, if you're in a really high um, danger situation, you just know what to do and you make it happen and you don't even think about it. We do have that 
subconscious trigger. But then there's a second phase of stress, which carries it out further. And that's the phase where we add on to it because our reactions to the stressful situations are what make us so stressed. Our reactions to the stressful situations are what make us so stressed. Yes. That was, that was a very important sentence. It's true. I mean, even, even, even if 17 evens, even if, um, it's really bad news, i.e. someone close to us is sick. Now we're going to process that and we are going to be human and we are going to be sad. But if we go into this mode where we are constantly spinning and worrying and worst case scenario and we can't get out of that, that's toxic stress. That's not a normal human reaction. The stress isn't. The emotions are, but the stress isn't. Okay. So they're, they're processing this and then it goes into this toxic stress that comes from people's belief system or does it come from like, can you give me two, like two different people reacting to that? Like what behaviors would make it so that they process it like a normal person, like a normal reaction And then maybe an example of a behavior that makes it so that they're processing it and it's turning into toxic. Am I making sense? Yeah. And it's usually like occurrence and duration. So let's say I got the news that my mom has dementia. Okay. And that's a bad, that's really bad news. So my normal reaction could be being sad I could be afraid that she's going to be okay, but then I may go into a mode of, okay, so how do we deal with this? How do we help her? What this, what, where is she on the spectrum? What does the trajectory look like? What does this mean for her life? And what do we have to do? Whereas if I, because I've actually been in the situation um, that, my mind was wired to be so stressed and so negative and so spinning out about every little thing. I have watched this happen in my own mind. Mm. So when I'm not in this more balanced state, I will spin out and I will freak out. And I might call my brothers and sisters and say, we've got to meet tomorrow. We've got to get all our doctors together. I don't know what's going to go on. She might have to move into my house. What if she has to move my house? What if she doesn't remember to meet tomorrow? Oh my God. What if she doesn't remember any of us tomorrow? Is this going to happen Tuesday? You know what I mean? And you get into these patterns and you really don't even know that they're happening because your mind is so wired that way. I recognize that pattern. You also just, this isn't really stress related, but the aha I just had when you were using that example was the grace and compassion piece. I always wonder when there's family stresses, why people get so angry or so argumentative or whatever. And when you just played out that example, it's like, if your sister's acting that way, instead of being like, my sister's a jerk, maybe it's, that grace and compassion, which totally had nothing to do with stress. But when it, when dealing with other people that 
haven't used the tools or mastered the tools or that are wired that way. Um, I just needed to call that out because I, I, that situation just feels so familiar when you were just doing it. Um, yeah. so I'm sure it happens all the time. And I, I mean, I've been in the situation where I didn't react my favorite way either. You know, I wasn't my best self. So I get it. I mean, we're all just human at the end of the day. And it's sort of dictated by what we have been through. And I hate to say this, but it's how our mind is wired. It really is. I mean, I watched this transpire in my own life. I had an episode where I, I hate admitting this, but I'm going to, to you. I was screaming on the phone to a customer service rep at the Google. I'm not lying to you. Screaming. No, there is no reason for this. Like I felt, I still feel so bad about this, but I went out of control. Like I was just out of line and my thoughts went crazy and it was a silly thing. And I looked at it later and I was like, oh man, wow. That's, you know, I can really see how when your mind is actually trained or wired that way, these reactions just go. And you just don't even realize it until it's over. And then you look back and you're like, oh, that was not so fantastic. That was bad. Yeah. So the good news is, from what I'm hearing, is that we can reprogram ourselves. Yes, we can. Now, I'm not going to say you can just read a book and it's going to happen. You have to put the time in. You, I, I have very specific directions, three minutes twice a day, work up to eight minutes twice a day. Now, if somebody has been stressed since they were five years old, it's going to take them longer than six weeks, mm. but they will see a difference in six weeks. And then it's up to them. And then I also say, sorry, I, I didn't mean to almost interrupt you, but I also say, if you go through a stressful period again, Get on those tools for eight minutes twice a day again. Well, that was good. You answered the question. See, so I was going to say, is that a forever thing? Do you build these eight minutes twice a day? And it is. I hate to say it's forever, but it's just like physical exercise. You know, I can go and I can build my muscles and I can go, go to bodybuilding competitions if I want to. But if I stop working out, I'm not participating in those competitions anymore. So it's my choice where I want my functioning to be. I had a friend on and he gave this example in a class that I went to. And I, and I think this is relevant to what you're saying. He asked us, would we rather have um, our, our brain working in full capacity or dentures? Like we, we could give up our brain or we could give up our teeth. And of course, everybody doesn't want to give up their brain, Right. So his question back to us was, well, why do people brush their teeth three times a day, but not do any exercising in the brain? Okay. Goosebumps. It's brilliant. Thank you. Yes. I I think I might, I don't know if I can steal that. I'm going to, I'm going to zhuzh it. Yes. I love that because. No, if it works for you, share it. Like I loved it. I mean, he told us that four or five years ago and he said it on this podcast. So borrow it. It's It's brilliant. It, It is. It's totally brilliant and totally true. So even brushing your teeth once a day, (laughs) do you know what I mean? We'll take once a day. You could do 16 minutes once a day. And then when things are good, just do six minutes. And guess what? You're not going to do it five days a week or seven days a week. That's okay. Do it five, do it four, 
You know, it doesn't, we don't have to be crazy about it, but every time you do, you're getting the benefits and they're fun because they feel good because they're igniting those parts of your brain. Nice. Is there, is there any practical application where you think stress is a good thing in this day and age, like without the woolly mammoth and the saber tooth tigers? I have, Bobby, I have such a hard time with this question. Here's why. I feel like we are in this society where everybody's trying to coddle everybody about everything and everything's okay. And don't even worry about it because it's actually sort of good for you. It's sort of good for you. But we've just been through a pandemic. And nobody's brain is wired, except maybe the Dalai Lama and four other people who are lying on the Facebook to be calm and happy and balanced all the time. And sure, a little bit of stress can be good for us. Like the adrenaline can be good for us before a talk because it helps us focus. It it gets our senses stronger. It There are some good things. So sure, small bouts of stress can be good or okay. But I hate to say it's good for us because I have seen so many detrimental effects of stress and I don't want to tell people that it's okay because I think a lot of times when we do that, then people are like, oh, well, I'm stressed. So it's a good thing. I'm like, eh, mm. Mm, not, no. Mm-mm. When was the last time you were stressed? Yesterday? Well, then it's not a good thing. I sensed a little, um, is condens- condescension when you were given that example, like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um is that just because people don't know what to do with other people or do you think it's what they believe? I Sometimes I think people just want to be contrary so that they get heard. Mm. It's like some people will say anything because it's, it's, that is contradictory to the popular advice, isn't it? So if they're going to get out and get attention, they, I mean, I've seen so many news articles <clears throat> And people out saying a couple of things like this. And, you know, sure, I guess in certain situations, it's not horrible. But I think the message in general is detrimental to our population, especially right now. The American Psychological Association just released information that said 77% of Americans have stress levels so high it's damaging their physical health. Wow. It's a, it's a bad, it's a bad issue right now. It's post pandemic. And I know people are so sick of hearing about it, but you know, they're calling the mental health issues, the second epidemic because high stress causes anxiety, depression, and even they're saying schizophrenia now. In addition to addiction. (laughs) In it. Oh, definitely in addiction (laughs) to addiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely scary. And I think that's why uh, we can't, talk about topics like stress too often um, or so so stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I I just like to give tips like um, so for instance, let's, let's throw out a few. Do you want to throw out a few tips people can use? Yes. Okay. Okay. So some people say, Annie, I don't know what I'm getting stressed. I can't tell. So I'm going to tell you when you're getting stressed, when you feel your breasts become shorter, Closer together and more shallow, you're getting stressed. 
So every time that happens, I want you to use this breathing exercise. Put your left hand on your chest and say to yourself, I'm safe. I'm not in a life or death situation. And the reason I use those words is because your brain can't fight against that in that situation. And if you're being chased by a bear, I highly recommend you do not sit there and say this and do this breathing exercise that you run. (laughs) So this is only for those stress circumstances where the stress isn't quote unquote good or needed, right? Because stress actually is good in the situation when you're chased by a bear. You need it very much. I am safe. I'm not in a life-threatening situation right now. Then move that left hand down to your lower belly. And as you breathe in, feel that lower belly extend out toward the opposite wall. As you're still repeating to yourself, I'm safe. I'm not in a life-threatening situation right now. Third step is a secret weapon. You take your right index finger and you cover your right nostril. And you breathe in and out only through your left nostril. I'm safe. I'm not in a life-threatening situation right now. You're breathing down deeply, only through the left nostril. I got Studies have shown it activates your calm nervous system, calms you down faster. What's with the one nostril thing? Yeah, studies have shown it activates your calm nervous system and it calms you down faster. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, so that is, that's something great. And people, it's sort of, I say, pick your nose the right way for stress. Cause it sort of looks like you're picking your nose, <laughs> but you're not really picking your nose. You're just covering your right nostril. But I say the right way for stress because it's always the right side. I could see people in traffic, right? Like looking over. I've gotten pushback on it uh, for, from the traffic conversation. They're like, what if people think I'm picking my nose? I'm like, when are you ever going to see them again? Why do you care? Oh, that's funny. That's good stuff. Um, so where can people get the book, Annie? Uh, they can get it on Amazon. They can get it at Barnes and Noble, iBooks, IndieBound. And if your bookstore doesn't have it, tell them to get it for you. Love that. Is there anything that I forgot to ask or talk to you about that you want to share? I want to give one more tip. Yes, do it. I like the tips. Okay. So this doesn't count for really, really, really serious stress, but... If you have something come up, like let's say a deadline, okay, and it's coming and you're stressed about it, you're like, so then you do the worst case scenario thing, right? And you're like, what if I don't make it? What if I get fired? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, shut that down in the situation. And I want you to switch it to thank you, thank you, thank you that I easily make this deadline. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I get all the cooperation I need. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want you to do triple thank yous, but also while envisioning your best case scenario and say it out loud, because that's going to change all of those paths in your brain. So you're going to get off your stress and negative paths. You're going to ignite your calm and happy paths. So it's going to help you feel better in the moment, but you're also going to be building them every time you do this. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, It's so funny how things just cross over and you said to do this, to get the best case scenario, like you're already thinking about the best case scenario. And again, I was, so I'm in an alcohol-free community and, and last night's homework um, is who do you want to quit drinking for? And then the second question is what's the best case scenario? So he's trying to reprogram us without us even deliberately paying attention to it. I mean, I am now because you just triggered that, but it's like, yeah, let's be thinking about the good stuff. Um, Because best possible self 
in addition to visualization, in addition to gratitude, have all been scientifically proven to ignite and wire those paths in your mind. It's been proven. So yeah. it's using all of that in one tool. So do you do you have like a regular practice? Like what is your, you see clients, I presume. Mm-hmm. I do. I practice Chinese medicine when I see my patients. And I mean, I, I, I do give out these tools to people, but we're not, let's sit down and work on our neuroplasticity. Okay. It's more like I'm using the, my toolbox of Eastern medicine to help them. And this is also part of that toolbox. So you did the book to help your clients that were struggling with stress. And that's, that's why you're showing up in the world is to kind of help everybody beyond your clients with stress. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually never set out to write a book. <laughs> I was only researching um, tools to help my patients. I was trying to build tools. And I would just give them out willy nilly. You know, I wouldn't say, oh, we're doing a new neuroplasticity things. I didn't <laughs> have time. I didn't have time for anything. I'd be like, try this, try this, try this, do this. And then I went through a period where I needed the tools really badly over two years, didn't use them and got to a point where I was sobbing on my living room floor because my husband just walked out the door because I had wired myself to a place where I was so irritable and so anxious and so negative and not myself. And he was like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't do it anymore with any and in that moment, I mean, I sort of felt like a double failure because he walked out. And also I was like, and it came to me, it's like, oh, shice, I know this stuff. Like, what was I even doing not using it? So I dedicated myself to the tools and hoped they would work. And they did. And I was like, oh, wait, this stuff actually really works. And once that happened, then I wanted to get it to all the people that I could in book form was the best way for me to do that. Cause it's not expensive. I can get it to people, you know, everybody was like, Annie, just do a program, but you know, programs are more expensive and 1499, like people can do 1499 or 999s is the Kindle thing. So, um, it's on audible too, if people don't like reading, but I, that's why, because I was like, I don't want anybody to get to that point. I got to, and it was, I mean, it was worse than that, but I gave you a little synopsis. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Well, this has been a pleasure. I love how you're like super energetic. Like when you start talking about neuroplasticity, that word, right. like your whole body just like jumps through the screen. So I love it. That's sweet. Yeah, I'm a science nerd. I'm a total science nerd. I can't help it. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Because you you also helped us understand, I think, in a, a simpler form. It wasn't all like doctor, doctor language and lose us. So thank you very much. You're very helpful in educating us for sure. Oh, good. Well, that's my goal. So thank you for saying that. And thanks for having me on. I love your show. I think it's, it's a very important show. It helps a lot of people. So thanks for doing it. It's my pleasure. And I get the benefit of getting to meet cool people like you. So it's always fun. 